The life of the National Youth Orchestra of Ireland began in July 1970. Since then, over 2,500 young people have been part of it. Twice a year, Ireland's finest young musicians are gathered together for a residential week-long course where they rehearse and then perform a concert. I was lucky enough to be there in the very beginning and this orchestra has shaped my life, my family and my friendships. The very first time that I had come in and played would have been the first time that I had sat in a symphony orchestra. Up until then, it would all have been string orchestras that I was in. And I just remember, I remember asking Niamh Nikunnel, what's it like beforehand? You know, it would have been the end of the section, as she said. You'll see. It's amazing. Yeah. Wise words. And I did. I was actually staring. I couldn't even look at the music. I was just staring around going, oh my God, this is amazing. All these the noise. Cool guys with brass instruments yeah. and percussion yeah. and Back in my day, we were a group of just 63 young people, aged between 14 and 20, who were brought together by the legendary Olive Smith, known affectionately to all of us as Granny Smith. She saw that Great Britain had its youth orchestra and knew that it was time for Ireland to have one too. Well, it was my first time also playing in a, in a big orchestra like that. It, it was just mind-blowing. In er, that concert, you would, you would pour every ounce of your being into every note. Even in rehearsals, like, there was none of this kind of, when's the coffee break? You know, it's not like being professional yeah. at all. <laughs> you know, it's totally, yeah, it's just loved it. It was the swim. I used to look forward to the swim. We had to swim oh, yeah, at a certain time, 14, and I remember that. 14. But apart from that, you wouldn't even notice the time. And you'd rehearse about nine hours a day, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. And you wouldn't even notice it, because, I mean, you'd look at the schedule and you'd think, God, are we actually rehearsing that long? But you wouldn't mind it at all. You'd be, you know, you'd be quite happy to keep going till nine o'clock or whatever it was. The pioneering administrators have been the mainstay since Olive Smith started it all. Loretta Keating, Joanna Crooks, Gillian Moan, and now the current manager, Zoe Kears. Back in 1970, it was all down to Olive Smith who brought together musicians from all parts of the country and they were aged 14 to 20 at that time. Um, and it was fantastic back then that it was a sort of north-south initiative without it actually being a north-south initiative. It just naturally happened that people came from every single county in Ireland um, and were brought together through music. So um, their first ever course was down in Rathnew and started on the 17th of July 1970 and we celebrated that this year in Cork with a big um, anniversary concert on the 17th of July um, and Olive Smith brought Hugh Maguire in to conduct the first ever orchestra and he stayed for over 20 years. Olive Smith's real masterstroke was to persuade violinist Hugh Maguire to take on the role of conductor. At that time, Hugh had a huge career in England, playing and leading the biggest orchestras with the greatest conductors. Yet he made the time to work with a group of almost complete rookies. That influence that he ha he's had on the hundreds of us musicians from those, from those days up to the present days and we're passing that on as well that was a great gift at the time for all of us because what our own teachers were doing they were doing the best of what they could do and then to suddenly be transported into a week uh, down in Gormanstown or wherever it was and to hear this, this great musician uh, passing on all his knowledge from his experience to us 
was a struggle on that first course for Olive to persuade people to join up. But she knew everyone involved in music and simply picked up the phone. And luckily for me, she happened to contact composer and teacher T.C. Kelly, who had several sons raring to go. Yeah, my father, T.C. Kelly, was the <coughs> music master in Clongos. And um, so we, as, as a family, grew up playing music together. And in fact, the year before, in 1969, uh, myself and Jerry went to Belfast to play in the Belfast Youth Orchestra. And that was the first time that I played in a big symphony orchestra. Yeah, I mean, I can remember Olive Smith ringing up, uh, talking to him and asking him, you know, and telling him about the youth orchestra and getting a commitment to, to send us. And of course, I can even remember the first morning going to Ratnew and looking at the map and figuring out how we would drive there from Clongos. And then arriving at this uh, girls' school, this boarding school. John is now CEO of the Irish Chamber Orchestra. I put my eye on his cello-playing brother, Jerry, and married him five years later. But one of my oldest friends is a man from Kerry called Bobby Houlihan, who went on to conduct orchestras worldwide and was then invited back in the 1980s to conduct the Irish Youth Orchestra. But through the army band, he arrived in the orchestra with one of the most unusual instruments, the bassoon. I came to Dublin as a, a trombone player, somebody who played in the, in the school band in Tralee. And um, given that I didn't have any financial means of... Um, going out to do any further study in music and I wanted to I wanted to do music I wanted to be in classical music and I wanted to be a conductor um, my only option was actually to, I was advised to join the Army School of Music so I went to the Army School of Music and I was given a euphonium and I thought this was it I was made now for life I was going to be you know playing in a band in the Army School of Music three years training normally in those days and um, to cut a long story short after a year the euphonium and I didn't get on very well and I was already hemming and hawing about whether I should stay or go or go off somewhere else. And uh, the, the man who was in charge, the head tutor, Captain Fred O'Callaghan, who later became director of music, um, said to me, look, we've got a bassoon, would you like to try a bassoon? And then the love story with the bassoon started. Another player to come through the army band was trumpeter Jerry Keenan, Jerry went on to serve in a voluntary capacity for 14 years as youth orchestra manager. He's currently manager of the Irish Chamber Orchestra. I think there is a notion that, that uh, you know, everybody who, who did classical music at that time was very wealthy or something. It certainly would have been a, a stretch in our house as well, I can yes. assure you. But I time. think that's why a lot of us all identify with each other to this day. Yeah. We came from very ordinary Dublin backgrounds. Uh, classical music is often as not portrayed as this elitist blah. It was not elitist in our day. And I think most of that is due to the VC policy at the time, where the fees were low. By January 1972, the orchestra had increased in size and was ready to be officially launched at a concert at Trinity College, Dublin. 
Beethoven 5 was the big piece. The following is an extract from the review that appeared in the Irish Times a few days later. A difficult work for any orchestra, one's hopes for this performance were not high and one wondered if the choice were wise. But a most devoted attention to good tuning, so that one's ears were never assaulted, and an equal care for dynamic markings brought it off. I congratulate Hugh Maguire most warmly on what he has done for so many of Ireland's young people and look forward to the orchestra's future with interest. There's something incredible about about the encouragement uh, that you get in a youth orchestra as well. You know, how yeah. your heart would positively Oh, well, my swell. big memory of you is Vorjak 8. <laughs> There's the big flute solo in Vorjak 8. Oh, yeah. And you used to play that and say, she's very <laughs> and we all used to sit back, you know. But isn't the other extraordinary thing that any time you hear a piece, Brahms 4... Um, Brahms 4 is the one that I remember now in terms of Hugh saying, oh, that was very good, you know, and just thinking, oh, I'm going to burst with pride. I saw that in the telly. That went out. and I'm sure it was shocking. Somewhere. Awful. But you remember every... It's funny, I think uh, Joanna said earlier, you remember every bar mm. of every piece. And that's the, that's the beauty of a youth orchestra. You don't forget... I can still remember so vividly playing that beautiful flute solo in the Brahms Fourth Symphony in City Hall Cork in the summer of that year. Little did I know that my four children would be raised in that city, go through the Irish Youth Orchestra and become professional musicians themselves. Cellist Justin Pearson reminisces on another aspect of conductor Hugh Maguire. What, what I think 72. Hugh was very clever at is that he invested not only musically in people, he also understood how the hierarchy, if you like, socially worked. Very, he was very, very smart about that. So he would encourage big characters in the orchestra. He'd encourage them musically and socially mm-hmm. so that people became leaders. But section leaders weren't just uh, people who could play their instruments most capably. They were also people who could lead the whole section and also contribute and he supported that system which meant that there was through him flowed through his principal players he managed to delegate much more than just music making and he had his he had his finger on the pulse of the entire orchestra and and I would like to record now that I would not be a professional musician were it not for the Irish orchestra Oh, I think a lot of people would agree Absolutely. With it changed our lives completely, the experience of not only just playing the music, but being involved with that group of musicians at the time. And there's a bond that's existed way beyond the orchestra between all of us in the profession. Mm. Um, that's 40 years now, that bond. <laughs> that's right, By the mid-1970s, there was already a new wave of players and an ever-increasing number of people wanting to join. During those first ten years, they played all kinds of things. They played Mozart and they played Schubert and... And they played Britain. And um, then in the 1980s, 
there was such a demand for the youth orchestra and so many people auditioning that they actually were able to start a second orchestra. Um, so that's when the J and the I began and the J was the under-18s and the I was the over-18s. Um, and Garode Grant was brought in at that stage to conduct the junior orchestra and he has been doing that ever since and still continues to do so to this day. Um, and Loretta Keating um, also administrated the work of the junior orchestra and she then succeeded Olive Smith in 1983 whenever she retired. Um, so during the 80s they had some really exciting times, quite um, really due to the fact that Toyota Ireland came on board because Tim Matney um, wanted to help the National Youth Orchestra and so Toyota Ireland started to sponsor the orchestra and one of their first big um things that they did was brought the orchestra on tour to America, um, brought them to Boston, which was a fantastic tour at that time because you know, no, no orchestra was going on tour back in the 80s, um, especially not a youth orchestra, um, and I think anybody who ever went on that will remember it to this day. I think there was a great sense of achievement, a great sense of community about the whole thing. It's funny the girls were mentioned the tours. I mean, again, you see times change. You, you look now, everyone travels now, like kids go to the Bahamas and blah. In those days, you wouldn't have gone anywhere unless you were working or like on a youth house. And like, for instance, the trip about the most memorable, the America Una mentioned earlier, was stunning. I mean, to be in Manhattan for the first time, I'll never forget it. My mother still talks about it. I came back and I slept for 48 hours solid. She thought I was dead. <laughs> but it was so, so exciting. Nowadays, the Department of Education is the principal sponsor. But Tim Manny of Toyota Ireland is a very significant figure in the history of the orchestra. The Toyota Ireland sponsorship spanned nearly 30 years, which is just absolutely unheard of for a sponsorship in the arts world. And Tim Manny was so passionate about the National Youth Orchestra. And you can see, looking through all the old archives of photos, that he's in loads of the photos and he wanted to be there. And all of the press launches, all of the concerts, Tim Manny was always very much a part of it. It would make him one of the most significant uh, Philanthropist yeah, for, I think for music so. in Ireland. Yeah, it? I think so. And I think it was he was a really quite an unsung hero. I mean, it would have been, you know, Toyota sponsor Munster Rugby and all different kinds of things these days, and the, and their big corporate sponsorships where this was real, true philanthropy. Um, it was just something that he really his personal it was, passion. It was really his personal passion. And whenever he died um, a few years ago, he has actually left a legacy to the National Youth Orchestra and the Mahoney family continue to contribute to the National Youth Orchestra every year. So we're very grateful to them. From County Down, violinist Anya O'Halloran. 1980s, my first programme included Shahrazad, Mumsud Korshkov Shahrazad, and Rita Manning was the leader. And it was just the most special thing I'd ever heard. My chin just hit the floor when I heard her play that. It's wonderful. But so young and so oh, marvellous. Yeah. I think she at was that time. probably 18. Um, she was her, it was her last concert with the orchestra, as far as I remember. It was my first one. But she moved on then. And um, yeah, she was so young. And she really had the understanding, the depth of it. And it was how was that for you, like as another violinist? Was it inspiring or did you kind of go, oh, I'll never be as good totally as that? Totally <laughs> inspiring. Absolutely. <laughs> 
and Rita Manning now enjoys a really successful career in London. I remember, I remember doing it all. I remember the whole recording thing and going to Donnybrook, going to the RT studios and everything. But and I never saw it. The, and then the solo. I'd never heard the piece before. You know, it really was so. If you know now, if someone said go and play it and we're going to make a t- TV program about it, I think I'd probably get a bit scared. <laughs> I didn't know to be scared because I didn't really know it, but I knew. Um, and then we did it in the RDS in the arena. No, that would be a scary gig. <laughs> no, I think it was very exciting, but it was all new. Everything about that, the whole thing was. It was first time. It was, you know, you weren't carrying any baggage. You'd never done it before. So it was your first time and you were seeing it with clear eyes, you know, clear knees. You hadn't anyone else's. I hadn't access to lots of recordings of it. So it wasn't like... Speaking to people from each of the four decades of the orchestra's history over many cups of tea, it surprised me sometimes what they spoke of. Yeah, I know you mentioned accents there. They really used to take the neck out of each other. And they would say to us, you've got a really funny accent. You're going, would you listen to them? We've got a funny accent. Like, they're the ones with the funny accents. Maybe the Cork accents. The one thing I definitely remember was the comedy of all the Dublin folk turning up at home after a week away with a Cork accent and all the Cork people going home saying bleeding rapid and I don't know who I was. Everyone feeling that they had completely taken on the other one's accent. It was very funny. Well, I was just saying earlier, the the first time I had to go to lead the orchestra and the the leader had to stand up in front of me and ask for an A... Yeah. And I did. And the minute I said it, the whole place fell around laughing. And I think they were expecting me to say, ah. Because <laughs> I probably would have said, ah. But I had been primed by somebody not to say, ah. But the whole auction was somebody expecting me to say, ah. Can I have an ah, please? <laughs> and they fell around laughing. I remember I went bright red. I never get it. I thought, it was not for me. <laughs> well, that was probably the first time you met somebody from Monaghan. Uh, yeah, I think I'll never forget it. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember it was always funny. I mean, there was definitely the groups of. Actually, I remember talking to you, Malachi, about this before. So we used to go up, and all the Cork people were totally intimidated by all the, these sort of cool Dublin mm. people, you know. Yeah, they all the cool clothes and the sort of city folk. And then years later, I remember talking to Malachi, and he was like, Jesus, no, we were terrified of all the Cork people. <laughs> there were all these mad, crack, like, fucking wild ones up from Cork. They were trying to be a The poor Colchies had the hope in that. Oh. <laughs> it was tough being a Colchie in New York. It really was. Players Joanna, Diane, Kean, Una, and Maliki are now all members of the Irish Chamber Orchestra. Each year, at the beginning of every youth orchestra course, every instrumental section of the orchestra has to rehearse its own parts. The brass and percussion don't have quite as many notes to practice as the woodwind and strings, but they still have their own section in rehearsals. 
The sections for the percussionists were always great fun because there wasn't ever that much music that you'd, it would take two days to learn it all. So we had the likes of Noel Eccles, again, who I work with loads now, would come down and we'd be finished in maybe two hours and we'd have another day and a half to go of sections. So he would take us out if we were, if it was a nice day, we'd all go sit in the grass in Newtown and Waterford and he'd just tell us stories about the business. Wow. All, mostly about percussionists and hijinks and getting up to stuff they shouldn't be doing <laughs> and just, I remember being what maybe 16 and just being so impressed by all of these amazing stories just going yeah I want to do these things <laughs> so not so much about the music just to the getting yeah in just to getting in trouble yeah and I think I've succeeded as well <laughs> so we played a lot of table tennis yeah still no good at that yeah I wore a bandana for a while that was pretty tragic uh, so yeah you'd work hard and play hard <laughs> It was in the Junior Youth Orchestra that my four children began their own love affair with symphonic music. But of course the fact that all their cousins also played in it right through the 90s and that my brother Garoud was the conductor, well, it all resulted in a lot of great music and a lot of Dublin cork slagging. The brass players definitely tried to have a mess and there is a sort of a, a rivalry with the, uh, with, the, with the percussion, I guess, and internally within brass sections. It was great... Uh, Great sort of rivalry, especially because it's you know it's it's down to stamina whether you can play the high notes, you know whether you got the parts. Everybody would want the hard parts and want to be able to play them, and you know a great sense of achievement if you could play, especially because you know a lot of the the, the works we were playing were quite hard, you know for for kids, you know Shostakovich and Tchaikovsky and stuff like that was hard. Um, with all the sort of the seriousness of the playing and the rehearsing, I think we tried to make sure that we had as much fun and you know as much messing as possible within the section without getting caught and the more outrageous things you could do I think you know untuning someone's trumpet when they weren't looking was you know pretty standard throwing stuff at the timpani throwing, throwing stuff <laughs> the, throwing coins on the timpani <laughs> very quiet yeah yeah that was good turning someone's music upside down when they weren't looking or just hiding it and taking or it hiding it yeah. yeah you need to fake it yeah God. joined us when I was 16 uh, and twice a year we'd go up to Dublin um, and play just the best music, Mahler symphonies, Tchaikovsky, all the great big huge chunky works with lots of brass and lots of sound and noise and it was just a fantastic opportunity to play the biggest pieces. You know with other orchestras you'll get to play Beethoven's, Mozart's but it's rare enough that um, a 16-year-old or a 20-year-old, we get to play the biggest symphonies that were ever written. And, and tell me about your role as a viola player in the middle of all of that. Well, apart from uh, propping up the violins, because they do need it, and smoothing down the cellos, because they have a bit of prima donna as well, the viola's role is basically a, a harmony instrument with occasional bursts of sunshine when composers realise that they have a nugget of gold in their midst and they give a tune occasionally to the violas and we just burst forth like a ray of sunshine. Uh, and the viola is basically uh, halfway between the violin and the cello. The violins are like the prima donnas, the sopranos, always like the attention. Uh, the cellos are very deep and serious, serious musicians. And the violas are kind of like the pointers. Uh, they're like brass players, but playing stringed instruments. 
Uh, we do like a bit of banter. We like a bit of crack. Uh, we like our viola jokes, uh, even though most of them were probably invented by bloody violinists. passion for music making developed during those youth orchestra days is brought by many people into their work in amateur orchestras all over Ireland. I met a number of former youth orchestra members at a rehearsal of the City of Cork Symphony Orchestra. I suppose I was in the youth orchestra in the mid, mid to late 80s until the mid 90s um, and went outside music for a career then I ended up doing chartered accountancy so I work um, in that profession now and didn't play for a number of years, I suppose, with work pressures, family commitments, etc. And back playing maybe about five or six years ago and really enjoyed it since. And the orchestra in, in Cork is full of people like myself who have other day jobs outside of music and we just enjoy coming here on a Monday night, having some fun, keep trying to raise the bar. Just because we're amateurs doesn't mean we have to be amateur in how we put things on. And you generally find that there, there are a lot of players in the orchestra of different age groups who have their own circle of friends from the days when they were and making music at 16 to 20, 21 year olds so that's a huge thing in the orchestra and, and I suppose you know Evelyn it goes beyond an interest when you're, when you're involved in music to that level it, it, it becomes a, it's a very serious hobby or a passion and that, that's probably the memory of it that you have people playing probably at the top of their game at the time young who were away together for the week uh, heavily immersed in the music having the fun as well but playing to really high quality and coming together to create something really special and that was really the highlight of it for me that creating something special at the end of that week uh, in the National Concert Hall or wherever we might be and that's what we're trying to create here a little bit of that here as well taking us back a number of years rolling back the years if you want to call it that Most of us are not musicians by career I think when we left school we all went our separate ways after the youth orchestra days back in the mid to late 80s um, I'm practising as a solicitor now um, my earliest memory of the junior youth orchestra was uh, our very first rehearsal and we played uh, Tchaikovsky it was my first real orchestral experience and it was incredible. Uh, I'll never forget it um, um, as long as I live. Certainly the biggest musical fright I, I ever got of my life was sight-reading Stravinsky's uh, Rite of Spring with the Senior Youth Orchestra, uh, which was nerve-wracking, to say the least. Uh, I seriously considered giving up the violin 20 minutes after that particular rehearsal, um, but it's since actually become one of my favourite pieces of music. Well, we Eventually we stuck into it and we mastered it, uh, and um, so it was a fright, but actually turned out to be one of my highlights. Matt's lecturer, Anyany Hay, has a family background steeped in Irish traditional music. Her father is Sean O'Shea of Unpucker Willa fame, but from her days in the Irish Youth Orchestra, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring is a highlight too. The forces that were at the disposal of the Irish Youth Orchestra at the time, you know, it's over maybe about 110 to 120 members in our day coming from all over Ireland meant that, you know, you had your full complement of musicians for these pieces. And uh, I remember actually in particular during the Rite of Spring, you know, probably it would be questionable as to whether we were maybe fully musically ready for it. Our fingers were ready for it, but whether our minds were fully ready for it or not. But I think if you don't learn how to jump at that stage of your life, you'll, you'll, you'll always be in fear of certain jumps. And to this date, I suppose it has served me, though I'd be dealing with a certain other music now that there's a certain I, I don't tend to worry too much about a gig anymore because we've tackled things like that where you were jumping into the dark a little as bit as a teenager yes yeah. Yeah. 
so they had a great time throughout the 80s and they went on tour to Cyprus as well um, because Loretta Keating had uh, connections out there and they did that in 1986 and then they toured again the following year in Europe and went to Strasbourg, Luxembourg, Brussels um, <laughs> so Hugh Maguire retired in 1990 and when he retired, they began to bring in guest conductors to the orchestra every year. So they had Enshaw conducting Albert Rosen. I don't think anybody will ever forget um, when he conducted the Alpine Symphony and it was one of his last performances. I remember working with Rosen and how scary he was, or how yeah. we all thought he was so scary, and then you'd see him and he'd be kind of hiding behind a pillar taking photographs and laughing at us <laughs> and all the rest of it he was a completely crazy man but he was a brilliant conductor I do, I do remember him snapping his baton over uh, I think it was Fidelma's cymbals that's right yeah trying to get her to play louder and faster I think <laughs> but you'd do anything for him like because he was he had such respect I think I of everyone as a musician and he was huge as well yeah but you'd play your heart out for him yeah but you knew if you didn't he'd kill you <laughs> so <laughs> you just had to, you know, <laughs> play your absolute best all of the time. Or else you just roar and shout and put the fear of God into you. Yeah. What, what did we do? What, what did he do? Uh, Alpine Symphony. Oh, was yeah. the big one that I remember. It was Strauss. Yes. Which was incredible. Like he, And he knows that music so or He knew that music yeah. so well. Yeah. And he could get the absolute most out of it. As we looked through photographs of conductors from the 1990s, Zoe told me about how American conductor William Eddins surprised the orchestra in a concert by starting them off, then folding his arms and leaving them to play by themselves. A bit of non-conducting from the conductor. Oh, he was great fun conductor yeah, as well. Yeah, he was he? fantastic. And he conducted Bolero with them and stayed there and didn't conduct. Oh, just let them yeah. play away. Yeah. As a complete surprise, they hadn't practiced it, he just got up there. And it was so exciting then for them. I've just heard so many stories. We so he started them off, and then he stood back as only somebody as cool as him could, crossed his legs and just kind of, you know, off he goes. swayed along with them, but let them lead it. That's great. And what kind of stories were you hearing from them? How terrified they were? How terrified they were, how excited they were. And William Evans as well, I think, was one of those conductors who they were all terrified of. And I think they just completely won him over. Like everybody says, the J and the I and all the kids in the orchestra totally win them over. The magic of how much fun they're having. So, oh, he said there was some hilarious catchphrase he had, and they got him a T-shirt with it on it at the end, yeah. and he just absolutely melted and loved them. Oh. So they won him over. That's another one. the finest international conductors have come to work with the National Youth Orchestra of Ireland, but the biggest influence has been from conductors Hugh Maguire and Gerard Grant, both of whom have given over 20 years nurturing these young people. Sitting in the front row of the violins, you get a bird's eye view of the conductor. Gerard's hands did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> Up at him and his hands. I was totally up at his hands. And him, obviously. I never noticed his hands. I still remember his hands. Remember the day Gerald came in conducting with a baseball bat? I remember that day, funnily enough. 
And why was he doing that? Was that because there were people from Cork in the Pro- Well, the Cork, yeah. Geralt had a had a bit of a thing about Cork. A phobia. Fear of Cork people. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be... Um, every day to be come in... Or the start of every course, it'd be all the people from Cork stand up. It'd be utter humiliation. And then... It was, uh, the it, it was a very bad day. It was uh, all the people in Cork... All the people from Cork stand on your chair. Remember that as well. But Geralt made it really, really fun, didn't he? Yeah. I, I just remember it. He just made music so... He made it come to life. Hugely for us. You know, and he had definitely. exactly the right balance and, um, how would I put it, way of understanding people so that he could get the best out of them and push them. Yeah. And, you know, all this humiliation and, you know, making people stand up and play on their own, all that kind of thing was just enough so that people were totally on their toes yeah. and did their absolute best without ever feeling yes, like it was, it was a hard just, slog yeah, or it was work or... With all this great romantic music, it's hardly surprising that the youth orchestra has produced its fair share of love stories. It is 25 years ago that we met. Yeah, but uh, I'm married 35 uh, yeah. years to him, so I met him 40 years ago. I was only a child, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so when did you meet Anita? Well, that was about uh, 1985. The youth auction, junior youth auction. Yeah, and I was a, I was a new addition. I'd only taken up the bass about a week beforehand, so they let me into the juniors, even though I was too old for it. Because... Uh, so you owned the bass? Uh, yeah, I owned the bass, well, precisely, yeah. So they, they, let, they, they thought they'd let this fella in, see, see if he gets the hang of it. And uh, on, just towards the end of the summer course, I met Anita. And we hardly spoke a word, but there was a great kind of electricity. It was a brilliant thing. And I went off then, and I looked up, and I looked up, I, I, her surname being unusual and Hungarian, I looked it up in the, in the uh, phone book before I went off. I looked it up in the phone book, and of course there was only one address in the phone book, and I got the address, and I took with me on holidays that summer, and I sent her a postcard. But we'd hardly spoken. All we had was a... A sort of sort of electricity, yeah. Way to flirt, I, tell you, I sent her a postcard, postcard. and uh, and it was well, it was well received, yeah. And that was yeah, so that's my. And so there's Malachi that was 25 years ago. Malachi Robinson and, and Anita yeah. Pedres together. Yeah. I can even trump that story actually mm. because on the very first night, and your boss here in the Irish Chamber Orchestra, John Kelly, can back me up uh, on this. There were four Kelly brothers, yeah. and two of them were twins. So I, as a 14-year-old, was chatting up one of them and came down to breakfast the following morning, and there were two. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know which of the two I had to chat up, and neither were kind of prepared to... Uh, no, exactly. <laughs> but I had to tell marks an important new chapter in the orchestra's history. From this time on, all of the concerts were recorded on CD, and you've heard many examples throughout this story. Around this time, too, the orchestra's dynamic manager, Joanna Crooks, conceived the idea to stage the orchestra's biggest challenge ever. Wagner's Ring, a cycle of four operas which takes 14 and a half hours to perform. The planning alone took three years and there were five consecutive weeks of rehearsal. And at least one more marriage resulted from the ring, Maria Mulcahy and Roddy O'Keefe. I suppose we knew each other for a couple of years through the Irish Youth Wind Ensemble and through the Youth Orchestra. It was during the Easter course of the ring that we 
had eyes for each other, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing led to another. Um, so yeah, we were early on in our relationship by the time the ring came along. So it was a lovely thing to experience together. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was such good fun. Uh, so early on in the in our relationship that you're spending all this time together, I suppose. Oh, okay, yeah. admittedly, there's a whole other orchestra around you as well. <laughs> but still, they, they, they don't really matter. Of course, nobody will forget the Alexander and Ismov period when he came to conduct the orchestra several times. And of course, the biggest highlight of that was when he conducted Wagner's Ring. Two complete performances of the four operas um, in Limerick and in Birmingham. And the, the Wagner Ring, well, of course, was an amazing concert for them to do, but it actually was a five-week rehearsal period down in Limerick. Um, where they lived down there and they lived and breathed Wagner's Ring for five whole weeks. I don't think anybody will ever forget that, who was part of it. I think before we got into it, nobody had an idea of the scale of it. We knew there was these seriously long operas, four in a row, um, but only when you got to see the singers, the size of the orchestra, the conductor, the size of the book that the conductor conducted from. So that amount of music was just incomprehensible because how could we possibly learn all this music in a month, perform it twice? It was just huge, the undertaking. However, the young people took it, I took on with gusto and fierce enthusiasm. There was kind of mutterings about, oh, mind your posture and mind your arms and all that kind of thing, but um, none of us cared. We just wanted to be part of this um, this work that was had never happened before in Ireland and was unlikely to happen again. So to be, you know, to be able to be part of that was fantastic. Former members of the National Youth Orchestra of Ireland can be found in orchestras all over the world. Our own RTE orchestras and the Irish Chamber Orchestra include many players who've been through the ranks. Our young players today are taught by music teachers who've been inspired by their own youth orchestra experience. And so what started 40 years ago with Schubert's Unfinished Symphony has gone on to become one of the richest conveyor belts imaginable for Irish musicians. So I suppose the musical landscape today in 2010 is quite different from it was in 1970 when the Irish Youth Orchestra started. Today we have um, the Irish Association of Youth Orchestras which has over 100 youth orchestras um, across Ireland um, and we also have fantastic third level colleges here but I think the thing that remains the same is that these young people have a real passion for the music that they're playing um, they work so hard um, they really fully commit themselves to to the music and to the rehearsals that they're doing and uh, they're just a fantastic bunch of young people and long may continue. It changed our lives completely, the experience of not only just playing the music but being involved with that group of musicians at the time and there's a bond that's existed way beyond the orchestra between all of us in the profession. Though you're saying that um, you know people think it was a lifetime ago, I think they kind of judge it on the year we did this, they don't think it was 1994, they think the year we played Shostakovich, the year we went to Denmark, yeah, the year we went to Finland. From talking to people, they can't put a date on it They couldn't put a date on all. it, but they could tell you what they played, who the conductor was, who the soloist was, who they sat beside, who they slept in a room with, who they had dinner with, but they couldn't tell you what date it was or what year it was. For all 
of us, the National Youth Orchestra of Ireland has been a life-enhancing experience. It has given us a passion for music making, friendships for life, a taste of hard work and a courage to tackle the unknown. And all of this happens afresh with every new orchestral season. In um, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, Adam at, seven minutes, at 7 minutes and 35 seconds, there's a trumpet solo <laughs> that Adam played, and it is amazing. <laughs> like, it just gives you goosebumps when you hear it. Like. The first uh, rehearsal all together, the whole orchestra, is just the most exciting part of the, yeah. course in, the course in some ways, I think. And I, I can just see, I can see Garoud, like, <laughs> dancing along and literally <laughs> dancing so happy. And it's completely, every every section of the orchestra is just as important as the next, like... I don't know, just like everything's perfect. No, there, there isn't, like, a single word to describe it. Yeah, like, you just can't. You just have to be, like, someone who's oh. done it to exp- and experience it. I have to feel highly. Yeah. I you feel privileged for being able to feel it, because you know yeah. that nobody who doesn't play music, they can't get it, and it just... They just can't experience it. We're like a family. This energy, this excitement, this love of music, this is what I would wish for every young person in Ireland. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.